Well, if you've been with us over the past few weeks, you know that we are in a series entitled Soul Care. And the first three episodes, we looked at anxiety and loneliness and depression. And if you missed those and those topics resonate with you, you can always check out our YouTube page and also our podcast service. Uh, Pastor Tommy has blasted out to every podcast service known to man. He is like a wizard of all those things. So some that I've never even heard of, I didn't even know they exist, Crossbridge Brickle is on there. That's how we're doing it. Uh, but if you have uh, walked through those things with us, I hope that the Holy Spirit has been speaking to you and encouraging you and challenging you and giving you some helpful next steps to, to work through uh, emotional mental health uh, issues and struggles. And this evening, we look at a topic that every one of us in here struggles with probably every week. And if you say you don't, you're lying. And that's anger. I don't know what makes you angry, but maybe it is when you are driving in your car and you're at a red light and you're the second car in a row and the light turns green, which means you're supposed to go. But the car in front of you is sitting there for one second, two seconds, three seconds, and you're like, are they alive? What are they doing? So you give them the burp, burp. They're still not going. Now you know they're texting. So you give them the Miami, and you, you don't even feel guilty about it. Maybe that makes you angry. Maybe it's when you go to Publix and you just, need, you just need a few items. You have a few items. You get into the 10 items or less lane. There's someone behind you as well, and you realize the person before you cannot count. They have 25 or 35 items. Maybe it's when you say, oh, I can't wait to have this cookie. Someone made these cookies. Sometimes in the back there are, are desserts and refreshments. Like, look at this chocolate chip cookie. And you take a bite, and it's oatmeal raisin. Maybe that's what makes you angry. Or possibly it's when you call Comcast. Like that's all I had to say, right? So when you call Comcast and it takes you 45 minutes to get to a human being and once you get to that human being, you're like, is this a human being? I don't know because Google's doing robot stuff and I don't know, but I'm gonna go with it and you're saying, listen, my internet's not working and they say, well, have you checked our website's FAQ page? Yeah, yes, that's why I'm calling you. Have you unplugged it and plugged it back in? Yes, I've done everything and it's not working. Maybe that makes you angry when you call Comcast. I don't know if you resonate with this, but this happens to me often and it makes me angry. And it's when I take the remote and I point it at the TV and it doesn't work. And then I open the back and I rub the batteries and I put the thing back on and take, do it again, it doesn't work. Now I change the batteries and do it, it doesn't work. And then I wake up the next day and I grab the remote and it works. Last one, and this I think is probably the most infuriating of all things, it creates the deepest anger, and it's when you're driving in a parking lot and there are no spaces because every parking lot in Miami is always full. And so you're driving and you're like just nervous that you're going to find a spot and there's going to be another, another, another car and you're going to have that kind of battle like looking at each other who was here first kind of thing, but you see a spot and there's no other cars around. Yes. And you pull into the spot and there's a scooter. Listen, any scooter drivers out there, please don't do this. Find like a little bush or something to hide your scooter behind. I don't know. But this makes me angry. See, these are all things that make me angry. I don't know if they make you angry. We have all these trivial things, these annoyances that we laugh about, and they create this anger in us. But there are also deep wounds in us that create all-consuming anger. Our anger is not only trivial. It can be very deep. It can be pain and suffering and humiliation and 
attacks from other people or a group of people or companies or organizations that have inflicted pain and suffering that's created this wound. And when it's triggered, there is an anger that is unlike trivial anger that we laugh at. It is an all-consuming anger that takes your mind and your heart and your soul and it really brings you into this place of fury, frustration. That is this psalm, Psalm 137. It is a psalm of anger. The previous two psalms are psalms of joy. So if you're reading through the book of Psalms, you're like, wow, this, this is really uplifting and hopeful. And then you get to Psalm 137 and it's an imprecatory psalm. It's a psalm of anger. And the imprecatory psalm means it is a, a song or a prayer where the writer is invoking the wrath of God on their enemy. So as we read through it, you'll see that the prayer is actually asking God to pour out his justice and his wrath and his judgment on their enemies. And this psalm is written on behalf of God's people. It's not just one person, because you'll notice there's a use of plural. So what's being said here is that this is the heart of God's people. This is how God's people feel This is their anger, and it's being delivered in Psalm 137 as a prayer or a song to God. And the enemy here is Babylon. See, Babylon and Israel have history. This psalm takes place right after or at the very end of the Babylonian exile. See, what took place was around 600 BC, the Babylonians came into Israel, into Jerusalem, their holy city, and they conquered the Israelites destroyed them, laid the city to waste, destroyed the walls, destroyed the temple, and then took all of the people that didn't die in battle that were Israelites and took them to Babylon and exiled them there. It's a 1,600-mile journey, like from Miami to Quebec, Canada. Took them out of their homeland, away from their culture, ripped apart from their friends and family, and many of them even died during the siege, and they're taken to this place, Babylon. And while they are there, there is a deepening of their wounds. It's enough to be wounded by that experience, to be exiled and be treated like property and to be removed and stripped of all the things that you hold dear. The temple, one of the great wonders of the world, destroyed before your eyes where you came to worship God and interact with his presence destroyed, and now you're in Babylon. And this prayer is reflecting upon what it was like there and what happened. Verses 1 through 3, the writer says this, by the waters of Babylon, there we sat down and wept when we remembered Zion. Zion is Jerusalem. We were at the waters, and we sat down together, and we wept, and we mourned over Jerusalem. And what happened? He says, we, on the willows there, we hung up our lyres. We, we didn't want to sing songs. We wanted nothing to do with that. But for there, our captors required songs of us. And our tormentors mirth, saying, sing us one of those songs of Zion. So the wound has already been created because of what took place in Jerusalem and their exile in Babylon, the destruction of the temple and their culture and the the death of their friends and loved ones. And now while they're in Babylon, they're mourning and weeping and crying over what's taken place and they feel like they cannot sing. They hang their lyres on the willows, 
But the tormentors and the captors come to them and say, we want you to sing us some songs about your city that we just destroyed, about your temple that we just destroyed, about your people that we just destroyed. This is a deep wound. They're pouring salt on the wound. They're reflecting upon what has happened. It's how they felt in verse 4. It says, how shall we sing the Lord's song in a foreign land? How can we sing? How can we sing a song for ourselves, let alone for our tormentors and captors who perpetrated this injustice upon us? You see, they're made to feel humiliated and helpless The wounds are being identified here. It's very clear what their wounds are, and they say, how can we deal with this? How could we sing songs? You see, what really makes us angry are not trivial annoyances and the things that we laugh at. It's injustice. It's when our rights are violated or the rights of others that we love and we care for are violated. When there's a violation of our God-given rights, it makes us angry. It wounds us. And this is what what takes place here. The people of God, their rights have been violated. They have been stripped of their dignity. They have been humiliated and made to feel helpless. And they're angry. So we have to say something very important at the beginning, which is the Bible never requires you to deny your anger. The Bible never requires you to deny your anger. Now, sometimes, unfortunately, the church has encouraged that of you. They say, like, no, 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 I'm not angry. I'm just upset. As if that's different. Oh, no, 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 I'm not angry. I'm not angry. You know, I don't want to be angry. I'm just disappointed. The, the Bible never requires you to deny your anger or to suppress your anger. Because anger is not a sin. It is so important to hear that. Anger is not a sin. In fact, the Apostle Paul in the New Testament says this, be angry and do not sin. Anger is not a sin. What your anger can cause you to do is where sin comes into play. Think about it like this. How can anger be a sin or be wrong if God is angry? You see, God is angry at injustice and sin and evil. And so anger is not a sin. In fact, anger is good and warranted and necessary at times. You see, injustice, a violation of your rights, humiliation, and made to feel helpless and stripped of the dignity that God has given you, that should make you angry that personal injustice that you've experienced in your life and those wounds that have been inflicted upon you that create anger, that's good. It's not a sin. You're not meant to suppress it. You should be angry. It's warranted. As we see here, their anger is warranted in the way that they were treated and what happened to them. But personal injustice is not the only thing that should make you angry. Public injustice should make you angry too. And that's good. For instance, if you see people in our society that are violated and stripped of their God-given rights and they are treated like less than and their dignity as a person of God, as an image bearer of God is stripped away from them because of their beliefs or their sexual orientation or their race or their lifestyle choices, that should make you angry. 
You can disagree with their beliefs. You can disagree with their thoughts and their opinions and their lifestyle choices. But if you see people being violated and injustice being perpetrated on people because of these things and their image of God that is imprinted on every human being is being stripped of them and they're being humiliated, that should make you angry. The trivialization of life in our society, whether on the topic of immigration or abortion, should make you angry. Greed and corporate greed that affects and hurts other people and is targeted at hurting other people and violating their rights should make you angry. And if it doesn't make you angry, that's an issue. You see, anger at times is good and necessary and important. The issue is not anger. The issue is what you do with your anger. That's what is important. And the Bible is very clear about what we're to do with our anger. Or to seek peace. You see, your anger should lead you to want to seek peace. Ephesians chapter 4, it's a letter in the New Testament by the Apostle Paul. He writes to the church in Ephesus. And the beginning of chapter 4 starts like this. It says, you are to live a life worthy of the calling that God has given you. Your life is to be lived in a worthy manner because God has called you to something great. He's called you to trust his ways. What does that look like to live a a life worthy of the calling that God has given you? The Apostle Paul says, he says that you are to maintain unity of the spirit and the bond of peace. You're to maintain unity with people. You're to seek unity. You're to seek peace. You see, your anger is not an issue. Your anger is not a sin. In fact, it can be good and necessary and warranted. And your anger should lead you not to sin, but to seek peace. What does that look like? How do you seek peace in your anger? There's a piece of wisdom in, in Proverbs 19:11 that says, "Good sense makes one slow to anger, and it is his glory to overlook an offense." So here's the first step. When something makes you angry, when a wound is triggered within you, whether it's trivial or whether it's deep, and that anger begins to arise, if you are capable of overlooking the offense, that's wise. You should. Like, well, how do I do that? What's the flow chart? How do I process through that? It's really simple. The Bible can be really simple, guys. If you're able to overlook the offense, overlook it. If you're not, have a hard conversation. It's really that clear. Your anger should lead you to seek peace, and if you can overlook the offense, overlook it. If you cannot overlook the offense, your calling is to maintain unity in the bond of peace, meaning you're going to have to have a hard conversation. You're going to have to call up that friend, that coworker, have that conversation because you've been called to maintain unity and to seek peace. Jesus said this, blessed are the peacemakers. See, if blessed are the peacemakers, meaning content and happy and satisfied are the people that make peace, then the opposite is true too. Unhappy, discontent, and dissatisfied are those who do not make peace. Blessed are the peacemakers, And hashtag not blessed are those who do not make peace. 
You see, when your anger begins to come up, and it begins to consume your soul and your mind and your heart, first you think, can I overlook this offense? If you cannot, then you go have a hard conversation because you're called to maintain unity in the bond of peace. And Jesus encourages you and says, blessed are the peacemakers. It is going to be for your joy. It is going to be for contentment and for satisfaction and for your flourishing to seek peace. In fact, this scripture, Psalm 137, is an attempt to seek peace. It may not feel like that on the surface, but that's what's happening here. See, the first two Psalms are psalms of joy, of rejoicing. And all of a sudden, something happened that triggered this wound. And all, the anger began to come forth. Isn't that true of what all-consuming anger and deep wounds do? Things could be going great in your life and everything is wonderful. And then all of a sudden, something triggers that wound and your anger comes right up. That's what's happening here. And this is an attempt to speak plainly to God and to seek peace because the offense cannot be overlooked and the people of God cannot go speak with the country of Babylon and its leaders to maintain unity and peace. It's not wise. They'd probably die in the conversation. And it's also impossible. So the third step is to seek peace in prayer, is to bring it to God and speak plainly to God. And here's what they say, verses 7 through 9, says, Remember, O Lord, against the Edomites the day of Jerusalem, how they said, lay it bare, lay it bare, down to its foundations. The Edomites were with the Babylonians. They wanted to destroy the whole city to the ground full of rubble. Remember that, God. O daughter of Babylon, doomed to be destroyed. I want it to be destroyed, God. Blessed be he who repays you with what you have done to us. Blessed be he who takes your little ones and dashes them against the rock. It gets real dark. So you read that, you're like, whoa, how how do I process that? The psalm starts out with recalling and identifying the deep wound that the people of God feel. And then actually verse 5 and 6 reveals that the the writer and the people of God have strong, firm faith. They say, God, we, we want to remember you. We don't want to forget you. We want to follow your ways. Then all of a sudden, it transitions and ends by saying, God, do you remember what they did? They did to us what they did to Jerusalem. We want justice. We want vengeance. We want them to be destroyed. In fact, it would make us happy if their kids were killed. You read that, and you're like, how how do I process that? You see, the writer who's writing on behalf of God's people, this song, this prayer to God is being honest, speaking plainly to God. God knows how they feel. God knows the depth of this anger. This anger is so deep in God's people that it is leading them to want to perpetuate an injustice on innocent children. That's how deep this anger is. See, the kids had nothing to do with what Babylon did. They had no decision-making. They were not involved at all. They're completely innocent. And yet, what took place, and the wound is so deep that this anger that cannot be overlooked, and they can't have a hard conversation to seek peace and maintain unity with the Babylonians and their leaders, it is leading them to want to perpetuate violence upon innocent children. 
You see, anger that is not addressed will lead you to vengeance and to injustice. Your wounds may be because you've been violated and your rights have been stripped and you've been humiliated and it's, it's deep and the anger is consuming. But if you do not address your anger and if you do not seek peace, it will lead you to injustice. It will lead you to sin. You'll want to perpetuate the same thing to the people that have done that to you. You want them to be even more humiliated, even more hurt, even more wounded. And here, the writer, writing on behalf of God's people, says we need to address our anger. We were rejoicing, and then all of a sudden we got triggered, and our anger is just consuming, and it's leading us to think thoughts that are horrible. And so, God, we're going to speak plainly to you. We're going to tell you how we really feel, the type of anger that is within us. You see, when you seek peace in prayer, you need to speak plainly to God. And some of you here need to have a Psalm 137 prayer with God. You see, sometimes we approach God in prayer and we're wounded and we're angry, but we kind of think we've got to get formal. We've got to do a hallowed be thy name kind of situation. As if God doesn't know that you're actually angry and that you actually have thought really dark, hurtful thoughts about other people. See, God calls you not to suppress your anger, but to speak plainly to him, to tell him how you feel, to address your anger so that you can release it to him as you seek peace and you see that he is in fact a God of justice and that you can trust what he's doing and what he will do. That's the intention here, is to share their heart and the depth and the truth of their emotions with God so that they can release their anger and it won't lead them to sin and they can begin to rest in God's justice of what he's going to do. Romans 12 is a great passage on the topic of anger and it says this on verse 17 through 19. It says, repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. Don't allow your anger to create actions that are full of vengeance. Don't look to to repay evil with evil. Don't look to do the same thing to others that has been done to you. Don't have that spirit where the anger consumes you in that way. But if possible, so far as it depends upon you, live peaceably with all. So if you're able to overlook the offense, overlook the offense. If you can have the hard conversation, have the hard conversation to maintain unity and live peaceably as far as it depends upon you. But sometimes those things aren't wise and they're not options to have that hard conversation or to overlook. So when that's the case, it says, beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it, leave it in prayer to the wrath of God, for it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. You see, when you can't overlook the offense and when you can't have the hard conversations, you're to leave it to God in prayer. You're to seek peace in prayer. called to maintain unity and the bonds of peace. And when your anger arises, you have to address it in this way or it will consume you and it will lead you to destructive decisions and habits and thoughts. Listen, persistent 
and possessive anger demonstrates distrust in God's promised justice and cheapens God's unwarranted forgiveness. I want you to soak that in. Persistent and possessive anger. Anger that is persistent in your life and you are possessive of it. You don't want to release it. You want to cling to it. It demonstrates that you have a distrust in God's promised justice and you've cheapened God's unwarranted forgiveness. See, Jesus gives you a promise, and that is that he's making all things new. It means he's making your wounds new. He's redeeming them. All the ashes that have piled up in your life, he's turning them to beauty. Everything that has been wrong and all the wrong that you've experienced is going to be made right. This is the promise that he's making all things new. And when you are unwilling to release your anger and to seek peace and to give it over to God, to be honest in your conversation with him about how you feel, you're possessing it and you're keeping it persistent in your life. You're saying, God, I don't know if I really trust that you're just. I don't really know if I trust that you're gonna make wrong things right. But I'll be honest with you, sometimes it, it, it is hard to trust in what God will do because we want that immediate fix. We want it better right now in the moment. And when you struggle with trusting God's promised justice and your anger is difficult to release and to seek peace with others and it's even difficult for you to pray and seek peace in prayer, you're to look to your forgiveness. Don't cheapen God's forgiveness. His unwarranted forgiveness. Listen, every one of us in this room has violated God's rights. We have perpetuated injustice upon God. You see, God is the supreme being and creator of all who is deserving of glory and honor. He deserves to be heard and obeyed. He is the most valuable of anything in existence and he's worthy of worship. And yet, who are we? All of us. We are people who want our own glory. And we will take glory at the expense of giving it to God. We are people that want to be heard, and we want to be obeyed, and we want to make the rules for our life, and we want to be worshiped, and we want to be treated as the most valuable thing. All of us have violated God's rights. And that violation of God's rights is called sin. And sin separates us from God because God is just, He doesn't just overlook offenses. He's, in fact, angry at our injustice, and he's angry at our sin. Listen, here's the good news. God is just, but he's love. He is just, but he is love. And God sought peace with you, and he addressed his anger on the cross. Jesus, God in the flesh, was born to take your injustice upon his shoulders, to pay for it with his life. All of the violation of God's rights that you have enacted in your life and you will continue to, Jesus has taken and he has died for. So that the wrath and judgment of God that is poured out upon sin and evil and injustice is not going to be poured out on you through faith, but it's going to be poured out upon Christ God released his anger and he dealt with it by pouring out his wrath and his judgment on Jesus. 
And if you believe in faith in Jesus' life and his death and his resurrection, you are forgiven of your injustice. You are invited into relationship. You are free to trust that God is just and that he loves you and he loves his people. You see, when anger is difficult for you to release and you want to cling to it and you see that it starts affecting your life and you're not able to overlook it and you're not able to have that hard conversation or that hard conversation did not go the way that you thought, seek peace in prayer and say, God, I don't want to forget your forgiveness and your grace. I don't want to cheapen it. If you can forgive me, if you released your anger and addressed it, God, give me the strength to do the same. Give me the courage to let it go and not allow it to begin to affect the way that I live and think and treat others. Your anger is not a sin. It's not an issue. In fact, it's good. But what it can lead you to is what's dangerous. So release it and seek peace. Will you pray with me? God, if we're honest, we are angry a lot. Or we live in a broken world with a lot of injustice. There's a lot of violation of rights There is many attempts to humiliate and to make people feel helpless and less than, and Lord, we've all experienced that in different ways. It can be really hard, God, to let go of anger. It can be really hard to seek peace. Pray tonight that as we prepare to come to the table, that this wouldn't be ritual, but it would be a moment to experience your grace and to be reminded of your forgiveness. That you are just and so Jesus had to die for us but you are love and you invite us into relationship. With this time, with your presence and at your table and as we sing songs of worship to you, lead us to seek peace with others and seek peace in prayer. That we would release it We would trust you, God, who have promised to make all things new. We would not cheapen your grace. Holy Spirit, strengthen that in us. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.